A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Nora Loretto, writer, activist, co-host of Sandy and Nora Talk Politics. Hello. Hello. Today on the show, Nora, how dare you call us government funded? We're government funded. <laughs> The CBC lets Elon Musk know who is boss. And Hertz, don't it? The Globe and Mail's film editor, Barry Hertz, rips the Canadian Screen Awards so bad that I actually had to watch it. Welcome back to Shortcuts, Nora, where we talk shit about the news. Fun to be here. This episode is brought to everybody by Betty Cameron, Andrew Waycott, Gabriel Much, Grace Leader, Melissa McKenzie, Brianna Laurie, Spencer McKnight, and John. My name is John, and I live in Edmonton. I support Canada Land for the coverage of Canadian politics with Backbench, in-depth, investigative, long-form stories with Commons, and the variety of Canadian-focused topics covered in Canada Land. Aussi, j'apprécie le balado des tours qui me donne l'opportunité d'entendre des diverses perspectives en français. I also appreciate Jesse being a disruptor and contrarian at times. With the Canada Land family of podcasts, I have something interesting and engaging to listen to as I go for my daily walk over the lunch break. CBC slash Radio Canada said it is pausing its use of Twitter a day after its main account was labeled government-funded media by the social media platform. This is being used by conservative leader Pierre Polyev to really rally up his base. I think it says a lot about the Conservative Party of Canada. Nora, how dare they? <laughs> how dare they accuse the CBC of being government-funded? Okay, here's the backstory. I think this chapter began when... Elon Musk, Twitter's shambolic owner, 
in the most recent chapter of his, like, I think why he did it to kind of like put his thumb in the eye of journalists. The thing with rich guys, I'm digressing already. We're just starting the story. But like, <laughs> and I've known people like this. Like, It really galls the wealthy that some schmuck journalist can talk shit about them. You know, like, it, like because in their universe of power, like we shouldn't exist. Like we should not be able to say these things. So I think that it's like the idea that he can't control the way he is defined and that people who are in a certain way smarter and wittier and just like more responsible about facts are constantly smearing his reputation with those facts is like, this is why rich people have been buying newspapers since, I don't know, Charles Foster Kane, who is fictional, but you get my point. That's what this is all about is we'll see about that, you assholes. I'm buying Twitter. How about that? And and that sort of explains everything that's happened since with Elon Musk and Twitter. And I think that this most recent chapter began when he changed the designation of NPR, not to government-funded media, but to state-affiliated media, which is the same designation Twitter gives to, like, you know, Xinhua in, in China or, like, Russian state media. Like, basically, he was saying, NPR, you're no better than these state propaganda outlets. And an uproar followed, and NPR said, well, we're leaving Twitter, which I think was justified in that case because they're not state media in that sense. And then there was some kind of reconciliation with Twitter's own definitions where government-funded media became the moniker for NPR. And then, okay, it's going to roll out across the world. And it's inevitable that it's going to happen in Canada. It's going to be applied to the CBC. <laughs> and Pierre Polyev, that clever little vadal, I have to be a little bit impressed. Like, it's going to happen anyhow. And he goes, I hereby ask that Elon Musk label CBC government-funded media because they're nothing but a bunch of state propagandists, and like knowing that that was going to happen anyhow. And then it's like, see, I, I do control the richest man in the world. He did what I asked him to do. Yeah, this whole affair has been very annoying because all of the characters in the affair are annoying, to say the least. And I think, you know, referencing the fact that rich people have always wanted to purchase media and control media narratives in, in different ways is, is a really important way to start with this. Because Elon Musk purchasing Twitter de facto made him one of the world's most powerful publishers, even though he controls the way that people interact on his platform in a much different way than any of the other rich people that own newspapers might control them. So like the Irvings or the Thompsons, any of the families in Canada or I mean, you know, the Republican hedge fund that owns Post Media. There's a lot more direct control over how they're able to control what is written. And with Twitter, it's this free-for-all. And so the only way that he can control things is, is doing things like saying CBC is 69% publicly funded, right? Which was one of his, like, slapping that label onto the CBC's Twitter account. We need to explain that because it's, it's, there's no better evidence that he is just trolling. And that's when the CBC argued, well, we're not fully government-funded. We're less than 70% government-funded. <laughs> and then he goes, okay, you win. And then he puts on 69%. So if, if there was, if anyone out there thinks like, because people are being like, well, they are, you know, like this is just simply, this is what they are. They're government funded. It's like, well, that is true. They are government funded. It's also true that this guy is just a shitlord who is in bad faith, having a laugh. Maybe that's a funny joke. I don't know. But like, he does not give a fuck. Not about CBC, not about Canada, not about the public discourse. This is like, He's trolling the country and trolling the CBC. Well, he's and he's swinging his dick around and he doesn't really care like what it hits, <laughs> you know, like to see Canadian journalists be like, wow, 
the response from Twitter was a poop emoji to our requests for comment, as if that hasn't literally been the request for comment for every single media request to Twitter for the last little while. There's this hilarious kind of Canadian exceptionalism in this story that we're too embedded in English Canada to really properly like appreciate. And so treating the CBC like NPR, I think that's an interesting place to start because NPR and the CBC are very, very different beasts. CBC is mainstream. It's the backbone of media in Canada. It's the only media in a lot of parts of this country where it's particularly difficult to broadcast or it's not profitable to broadcast. And he declares war on them. And so that's that's kind of one story. The second story, which I think is far more important, is how Polly ever intervenes in all of this. The decades-long attack that the Conservatives have waged against the CBC, this is where it gets a lot more complicated because the CBC management is aware that the second the Conservatives get elected, their goose may be cooked. And yet they still have to produce journalism that is unbiased or that doesn't favor one party or the other, recognizing that there is literally a party out there that wants to destroy them. And the reason why the Conservatives have been so successful in demonizing the CBC is because people can feel that the quality of the news, the quality of coverage, the way that coverage happens, the number of journalists, the location of where those journalists broadcast from, like the quality has gotten far worse. And rather than looking at kind of the world today and saying, what role does public broadcasting play in a world that's dominated by social media, giant corporations that are all privately owned and and operated by freaky millionaires, billionaires, They have just kind of turtled, they've cowered, and rather than innovating, it's just like, you know, let's just try to keep our heads down, let's just keep doing the good journalism that we're doing, and let's rest on those laurels. And that's just, you know, I think that that's put the CBC in a very vulnerable spot for attack, and and I think that the second Polly ever gets elected, which will happen at some point, the English service is toast. I think that the French service, that's a whole other thing. But I think that, you know, it's going to be reduced to to radio and barely. So their response to being labeled government funded has been to take their ball and go home. The CBC has said that it is pausing its use of Twitter a day after Twitter labeled them government funded media. And here's the quote. Twitter can be a powerful tool for a journalist to communicate with Canadians, but it undermines the accuracy and professionalism of the work they do to allow our independence to be falsely described in this way. How dare Twitter falsely describe them as government-funded media on Twitter? Nora, do you know who described the CBC as government-funded on Twitter? The CBC itself? Like... <laughs> the CB fucking C. In, in 2017, they, like, they said, yeah, we're government-funded. We also have ad money. So their argument is, well, we're actually publicly funded, which is like, if that is what you're standing on at this point, the, the semantic difference between being government-funded and publicly-funded as the reason for exiting the platform. Like, first of all, never have a fight with a troll on their own terms where, where they control the semantics. They should be saying, yeah, we are government-funded. We are proud public broadcasters. That's what it means to be a public broadcaster. To agree that that is an insinuation, a suggestion, or a slight is the weakest fucking position. As if there's something wrong with being government-funded media. And, I mean, it opens up all kinds of other things, of course, because now we have to, like, ask the question, should not every single recipient of the government media bailout also now be given the government-funded media sticker by Twitter? But I want to stick with why this was a terrible decision for the CBC. And I, I agree with you that they're vulnerable because they have been slipping in very serious ways journalistically and just in terms of, like, It's really hard to think of a CBC journalist with any gravitas that's left. There's lots of great reporters there, but 
Lyndon McIntyre and Carol Off and Enright and like like all of these people, Anna Maria Tremonti, like all of these people who used to be like to varying degrees, like you took them seriously and they spoke to people like you were an intelligent citizen of Canada are gone. And what's left are a lot of talented people, but I don't know that anyone is really inhabiting that space anymore. I've gotten a lot of responses by people like, it's like every, everyone is happy with this, weirdly. All of the conservatives on Twitter are like, yeah, fuck off. Goodbye, CBC. Good riddance. Great. Twitter's like really going to benefit from not having the biggest news organization in Canada. Like, like, no, you're just leaving that space for the worst shit. And great stuff like Canada Land. And then the CBC supporters are saying, good riddance to us. We're not going to stick around for this kind of abuse. We're leaving here. I'm curious your point of view on this. I have my thoughts on why this is a very bad move. I actually think it's a dangerous move and an arrogant one. I feel, first of all, like the CBC has a, a duty. It has a mandate. It has a mission. It is tasked to deliver Canadians the news that we pay for where we choose to get our news. That's why whenever... We go from radio to TV, they go to TV. When when the internet becomes a thing, they move on to the internet. They are supposed to go where the audience is. That's their mandate. That's why they went on the internet. And last time I checked, something like 6 million Canadians have a Twitter account. It is the first place I get my news from and millions of others, like whatever is going on there with ownership, it is still a major news channel. So I don't get to determine as a publisher of Canada Land, I don't like what's happening with Twitter, but this is where people get their news. It's free. It's trivial for us to make our news available there and to engage there. So we do it. And for the CBC to not do that, I think is just out of step with what they're supposed to be doing. But then, and this is important and hasn't been discussed as far as I can tell, Twitter is where every government has an official presence. Every public figure has an official presence. Every company has an official presence. Every MP has an official presence. As reporters, we don't get to determine where the people we cover make their statements and where we can scrum them. When they choose a public space to go say stuff, and we get the privilege of asking them questions in public, which is a very powerful thing to do as a reporter. It's very different than asking questions in private where they could just be ignored or they, they could be war-roomed and, you know, spun. I mean, that could still happen, but when you can actually confront somebody in public because they wanted to speak in public, well, if you want to speak in public, you're going to be questioned in public. Twitter serves that purpose. To abandon that space is to abandon your responsibility as a reporter who covers things in public. I don't understand how you could do that. There's no alternative to that. There's no other social media space where all of those public figures, every MP and party and, and company is there communicating every day. Well, and not just there communicating every day, but like on a single feed or on a single stream where you can actually see everything together. You know, Facebook is too siloed for that. And LinkedIn is too freaky and weird and employer dominated. And something might emerge in the next couple of years to, to replace what Twitter is. But I totally agree with you that, you know, this seems like the laziest decision, right? The laziest, the safest, the decision that Navigator told them to do. Like in theory, I'm not saying that they're talking to Navigator, but that would be the laziest, easiest, most risk cautious decision is just pull off your main accounts that you're not going to interact anymore, but do not pull off your journalists. Your journalists can still interact on Twitter. The articles are still going to be shared on Twitter uh, because that's how people share news. And I suspect that the majority of Twitter traffic to CBC web pages is coming through individuals sharing articles or journalists sharing their own articles and not CBC News sharing a particular article. So for all these reasons, it's a PR stunt and it's lazy. And it's exactly what Musk wants. Like, this is exactly what he wants. Yeah, and so, yeah. uh, like, not only should you not entangle with a troll on their terms, but 
what does this achieve? Like, if the criticism is that you will not be on a platform owned by someone that doesn't respect your news, how can you even interview the Conservative Party of Canada then? You know, like it doesn't actually, there's not a logic here that can be evenly applied. And so without an evenly applied logic, we, we descend into hypocrisy. What do people hate the most? They hate hypocrisy. And the CBC, like, I don't know if you saw this on Sunday night when they first announced that they got the government funding tag, their article first quoted Pierre Polyever, right? And we talked about this on Sandy and Nora. And Sandy was like, do you think NPR ran to the, the Republicans to say, hey, what do you think about us being called state-sponsored media? No, of course yeah. not. You know, like, Polly Ever was part of the story. Okay, if you had to include him, he could be below all of the other people that you would quote in the article. But the CBC is so bad at understanding these forces. And you described it well as turtling, because I think that this made sense to them. But I think that they made the calculation of like, well, great. Twitter has been a place where, you know, every other day we're trending from people who hate us. Mm -hmm. Our reporters are getting abused there. It's just a huge headache. Fuck it. Because, like, they don't get paid more if their news has impact or is part of the conversation or if they're fulfilling their mandate. Like, like great. Let's turtle. Let's go to the platforms that we control. And the loser here is the Canadian public. On the one hand, they're just ludicrous. The idea that this is state-sponsored media, they're just like doing what Trudeau wants them to do. Like the things they say, it's almost like, I don't think you've ever actually watched or listened to the CBC. You know, like having worked there, it's just not like that, you know? On the other hand, you also can look at everything that's happened since Trudeau has been in power and ask yourself the question, well, where has the rigorous accountability journalism come from? The stories that Trudeau really didn't want to see published. And the CBC was not leading the pack with any of them. Except Radio-Canada. Ah, noteworthy exception that I'm not really in a position to, to uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't know to say so. But yeah, there is something to it. It's not about Trudeau controlling the CBC. It's about a political class. It's about establishment thinking. It's about a soft approach. And it is about the culture of Canada and a certain alignment with, with circles of influence and power that, that overlap. And then you look at these little things like the Rosie Barton selfie with Trudeau or her being on the lawsuit against the conservatives. I'm not saying I agree, but I get it. I get it. If it wasn't the CBC, if the National Post was getting a billion and a half dollars a year from the government to publish things that were completely contrary to my political bent, I would be pretty cheesed about that. The CBC is not ready for this fight, and I'll fight for them, even if they're not willing to fight for themselves. We need them, right? Like, we do not have local reporters in many parts of this country. We need a strong public broadcaster. And I don't know that they understand what they're actually involved in or who they're up against here. To allow themselves to be politicized in this way, they've, they've played into the hands of... Right now, it looks very clear to anyone who's who's looking at this. Oh, Trudeau is on one side with the CBC. He funds them. He says nice things about journalists. He protects them. He protects other journalists. Polyev is on the other side against the CBC and with Twitter. And the CBC's position should be very firmly, fuck that. We're not on anybody's side here. We're public broadcasters. We tell the story. And instead, they are playing into this like, yes, fuck Elon Musk, fuck Pierre Polyev, and then Trudeau says, this tells us everything we need to know about the conservatives. And it really does appear like the media has been politicized in a way that I don't know how they get out of that. I don't know how they fight on here, but we need them to. I do. I mean, the problem is, is that the Conservative Party has been very, very good at getting into the parts of Canada that are feeling ignored, underrepresented and marginalized for some reason or in some way. And part of the reason that they're so good at that is because they have a really good ground game that riding by riding in every single part of Canada, they are 
present, you know, even places where they've got no chance, they are present. And they understand that this is a very diverse country from region to region. It's a very diverse country in terms of the economic mix. And so the economic interests of different regions, like they need to be able to speak to all of those things. And, you know, I was doing a presentation on fake news in Regina. And both times when I start the presentation off, I said, well, what is fake news? In the two presentations, someone yelled out the CBC and Justin Trudeau controls it, which I just thought was so fascinating because it's like, okay, so why do you think that? And what's so clear is that people feel completely unrepresented by the public broadcaster. And I actually don't think that that has to do with politics. I think that that has to do with centralization, decisions made out of Toronto, guests that are constantly booked who have no idea how to even pronounce Saskatchewan, for example. Like people hear that. And, you know, as someone living in an outpost as well, certainly like, I mean, an Anglophone outpost, like the amount of our news that comes from Toronto, like you cannot find out what's going on in this province unless you listen to French Radio-Canada. And I know that that's very, very similar in a lot of different parts of this country. So if the CBC wants to save itself. They have to understand that as the public broadcaster, they need to be representing the people in those regions all across this country that feel like they have nothing. And when so much of our media is owned by post media, I mean, the time is now for the CBC to do this and to do these little games and to, oh, we're going to leave Twitter. It's like, that's not useful. That's not how anyone wants to see uh, adults <laughs> interact with one another. Decentralize and pour your resources into local news. It's that simple. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Nora, we're going to duly note some things, and I want to begin... By duly noting a Canadian angle to a story that probably people are familiar with, Fox News is taking it on the chin. It turns out that it costs money to lie. And the big lie 
that the election was stolen for Joe Biden with the help of vote-stealing Canadian technology, Dominion voting machines. That was the big lie. And it has cost Fox News a settlement of $787.5 million to keep Tucker Carlson and the rest off the witness stand and further revelations and discovery. Everybody knows that, one of the largest defamation settlements in U.S. history. And the New York Times is reporting that Dominion is not done. They have suits pending against Newsmax, against Rudy Giuliani, against Sidney Powell, who actually spread most of those lies on Fox News, and against former lawyers for Donald J. Trump. But you know who's getting away with it? Do you know who is not getting sued for spreading that misinformation? Uh, where's Donald Trump at? Is he getting sued for this? Oh, I guess that's a good answer to that. No, <laughs> well. <laughs> he, he's, he's not getting sued for that. But Rebel News, as far as I know, has not been served for going hard on the Dominion voting story. Scandal-plagued Dominion voting systems. Voter fraud shenanigans rigged. Mail-in ballots, many of which they had actually fabricated. We've learned that they share not just an office building, but they share an office floor with Tides Canada. Their office in Toronto was shared with one of the Soros entities. Hi there, would you be able to tell us why Dominion Voting gave so much money to Hillary Clinton? They might have donated $50,000 to the Clinton Foundation. In Antrim County, ballots were counted for Democrats that were meant for Republicans. And they run elections also in Canada with the Conservative Party of Canada and also in New Brunswick. Yeah, so that was a bunch of the coverage from Rebel at the time. And they had Sidney Powell on just spewing what Sidney Powell had to say. There was no, you know, this is becoming a hot potato in the foxing world. Did anyone, did anyone challenge Sidney Powell? Was she questioned at all? It's still up there on, on Rebel's YouTube channel. There she is just talking about the voter fraud. And they went one better. Rebel was up the street from Canada land at actually a building where I recorded the first Canada land, a Soros connected building. Nora, where, where Dominion voting, uh, it was hilarious. They were there like, you know, bothering the security guard about like, what, who's hiding the name tags and, you know, mentioning the Clintons and George Soros. Like, like the, the whole thing was absolutely fed from Rebel with all their might to their audience. And yeah, some people are paying a price, but it looks like the Rebel got away with it. Well, I'm glad that you explained all of that to me because I've been actually avoiding understanding what this whole story is and I'm worse off now for knowing. So duly noted. <laughs> what do you have to duly note, Nora? Well, Jesse, what do you think is the optimum age for someone to get that first work experience? You know, I, I, I think that child labor can really build character. So... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, my kids, four, five, what kind of labor are we talking about? My, my, my kids do our taxes. So. Mm, wow. I see. I have a kid who literally cried when I told him that he couldn't work in a mine until he was at least 10. So I have a soft spot for child labor as well. And do you know who also has a soft spot for child labor? The Iowa, I don't know, state legislature, I guess. Early mornings before 5 a.m., they passed legislation that allows children under 16 to work a six-hour day. <laughs> Huh. And if your parents are okay with it, 16 and 17-year-olds can also serve alcohol. So there seems to be this move to bring back that old-time tradition of young people working long hours. And this is all in the shadow of news that many young people, teenagers, were seen working overnights in slaughterhouses in the United States. Oh, yeah, I remember that. 
And slaughterhouses are particularly gross, and the children's jobs were to clean them up. So this has been sweeping the United States, ah. discussions of child labor. So the follow-up to that, those horrible revelations, the expose on children working midnight shifts at slaughterhouses is, yes, something has been done about it. We're making it legal. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and so by being legal, I mean, now they can probably unionize, right? In theory. But, you know, there hasn't been too much discussion about child labor in Canada outside of Quebec. In Quebec, there's actually a parliamentary commission on right now that's looking at changing the child labor laws because there has been a lot of child labor cases that have been made public in Quebec, including a situation not far from where I live at a um, summer vacation kind of amusement park area where a child, a 12-year-old, was in a workplace accident and the employer didn't even report the accident. It, it ended up coming out from the hospital that the CNOSST, the, the Workplace Safety Board in Quebec, had to investigate. But I just want to draw attention to one comment from the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses, Francois Vincent. And he was in front of the Parliamentary Commission yesterday, and he said, if we stop children from working, we risk breaking the dreams of 90,000 children. <laughs> That's just amazing. I, I, it's I, amazing. I have more complicated feelings about children serving alcohol. It's just really cute. And <laughs> how long do you think before we move from satire to reality? Like, I feel like it's inevitable that somebody will just be like, actually just saying without irony, it's time to move backwards. We're, we're getting there. I'm sure you saw that Galen Weston's being replaced by a guy called Per Bank. I mean, the fiction is just infecting our reality in such an incredible way that I think maybe my kid can actually become a minor before he hits grade seven. Well, that's what makes the lungs strong. How are, how are those <laughs> lungs going to get strong if they're all pink and, and vulnerable? You need to you need to ash them up a bit. Duly noted. I, I have one more thing to duly note. And it's a little callback to our, our, our CBC discussion, I suppose. But we, we reported along with some others that Gillian Finley, investigative reporter for over 30 years at the CBC and one of the hosts of The Fifth Estate, which is like, that's the CBC's big platform for investigative journalism is The Fifth Estate. Gillian Finley has left the CBC. And the reason is she alleges unequal treatment. And this is like a lot of people are going to feel like, oh, cry me a river. But it still goes on. And there's like a sense that maybe this was yesterday's kind of this is yesterday's discrimination, you know, like discrimination against, you know, wealthy white women, not necessarily in vogue, but it's still it's still there. And the discrimination in this case is that her co-host, Bob McEwen, and nothing against him. He's got a sweet deal. He lives in Quebec and they fly him back and forth to film The Fifth Estate. And nice gig if you can get it. And so she figured, all right, let me do that too. And she went and bought a house in Nova Scotia expecting the same. And they said, uh, nope, nope, not going to do that for you. I think they stopped doing it for Bob as well when she demanded it. But it was an inequity that she did not find acceptable. And, you know, the CBC in their statement to us and others was like, well, we're very, we regret that such a great journalist has decided to retire. And it's technically true that she's got enough seniority there that she's retiring and not quitting. So you can't use that word. But no, this wasn't her choice. And it's because of sexism that still lives there. And, you know, that sucks. Yeah, I think there's this kind of dream that if you work really, really hard and you have a really successful career, that at some point you will be untouchable. And in media, it's just not true. And it's always horrifying to see people and their like very long and very illustrious careers, not on their own terms, not being able to just have a dignified retirement and say, like, I did good work. So duly noted. And that really sucks. This episode is brought to everybody by Oxio. Nora, I get my internet 
from Oxio, and it's a dream. It's super fast, and I just don't have any problems with them. And I like that they're not, you know, those other guys. Oxio Nora is an internet company with beliefs. I like that it's just fair, sustainable pricing. Everybody in each area pays the same price. It's not, there's no contracts. I don't need a contract with my internet provider. There's no unexplainable price increases. They believe that everybody paying the same price is less expensive for everyone in the long term. Oxio wants to change the way that people think about the internet. They want you to think about it as a utility, just like something you need. It's not a contract. It's not a perk. It's, it's just like table stakes for doing everything uh, and participating in this world of ours. Try it out for 60 days. If you don't like Oxio, they'll give you all your money back. And here's, here's the sweet deal. Sweet, sweet deal. Cause you listen to this podcast, you visit canadaland.oxio.ca and you will get your first month for free. That's canadaland.oxio.ca promo code canadaland. Your first month will be free. Nora, did you watch the Canadian Screen Awards last weekend? You guys made me. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I did not have any interest. It wasn't on my radar. I don't have TV. And thank you, Canada Land. I watched them. I watched them today. I wouldn't have watched them, and I wouldn't have made you watch them if it had not been for uh, a uniquely and uncommonly negative write-up that Barry Hertz, the film editor of the Globe and Mail, wrote about them. I just had to see it after reading this embarrassing and condescending the 2023 Canadian screen awards failed our film and television artists. And the thing that caught my attention where I was like, no, that can't be true. Barry Hertz wrote that audiences knew their evening was going to be ruined from the start with host Samantha B participating in a cringe inducing opening sketch that cobbled together tired gags about Toronto playing New York Tukes and of green Gables, et cetera, et cetera. But what Hertz wrote was that it seems that Samantha B never even left her home in New York. I was like, wait, what? You can host the Canadian Oscars from New York? That can't be true. That can't be true. Hello, Canada. I'm America's Canadian sweetheart, Samantha B, and welcome to the 11th annual Canadian Screen Awards. I'm coming to you on tape on April 16th from beautiful downtown Toronto, home of that big, tall tower thing. There it is. Having lived in New York for more than 20 years, it feels great to be back in my hometown, Toronto City. Tea to the Ronto, home of... Bags of milk, the Kinder Eggs with toys in them, and the R.C. Harris water treatment plant. Too many things to list. And one more note for our American friends who come up to Canada and shoot in our amazing cities as a stand-in for New York. We notice you're really not trying very hard. You never see a Canadian try to do that. All right, so the part that people can't see is, like, the gag, uh, such as it is, is that Samantha Bee is in New York, very obviously. They actually, like, superimpose very cheesily a CN Tower in the background. And when some New Yorker swears at her, they overdub later in that sketch, go Leafs, go. And it's not remarkable that there was an unfunny, lame sketch to open things up, or even that, like, oh, look, I'm in New York. It's that she does not then appear on stage. <laughs> right. Like the way that's supposed to end is like, ha ha, very funny. I'm in New York. I'm not. And, and then, but here she is. And she runs on stage to hand. No, she doesn't. They didn't even make her fucking come. 
She hosted the Canadian Oscars for, like from like, like oh great news we got Samantha B oh she's lovely she's so funny that's wonderful is is there a catch yeah small catch she won't leave New York it's a fucking one hour <laughs> flight I think we can make this work let's work with that and and I swear to God it, they cut back to her throughout the thing and what they did was she's in uh, I guess what's supposed to look like the Canadian nightclub. And, and so they've got these extras who are like awkwardly shuffling around, like having a good time behind her. And they're wearing like uh, flannels and hockey jerseys and toques. And they're, and the DJ is a Mountie. And they cut back to Samantha B throughout this thing. Hertz is not exaggerating. This was atrocious. This is like uh, absolutely embarrassing. And, and like it's a new level of embarrassing. It's like, and you do like, like you feel for the people who like, there's some pretty serious work being honored there. And this shtick is what glues the whole thing together by a celebrity who cannot be fucking bothered to get on a Porter flight to host the thing from Toronto. It is mind boggling that that was the decision to put her into this position where she was not present. And I mean, I'm not a fan of Samantha Bee at the best of times. You know, there's, there's the side of it that is like, oh, poor Canada, like this is the best we can do. And then there's the side of the disrespect that Barry talked about in his in his article, which was like, I mean, I'm in, I'm in creative industries too, and I've been at award events before, and they're very stressful, and sometimes they're very fun, and sometimes they're not very fun, but it's, it's a whole kind of thing that it's supposed to be the pinnacle of artistic creativity, production, whatever has happened in the last year. And all it was was like cringe after cringe after cringe scene with Samantha B honoring the most obvious people to honor, like fucking... Catherine O'Hara and and that other guy, the you'll probably even know who I'm talking like Reynolds, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Like it, Chad GPT would have come up with a better script. The whole thing can be backwards engineered from like, well, the actual film and TV shows that we're giving awards to here are boring. Mm -hmm. So what can we do here? So there's so like they, they just made up awards to give to Ryan Reynolds, like like Lifetime Philanthropy Nice Guy Award. And yeah. you know, like just to get some celebrities involved. And meanwhile, there are some people who actually fucking give a damn and, you know, whatever. It's like maybe a little personal, but my colleague, Kim Wheeler, who produces Canada Landback, she won, along with her team, a Canadian Screen Award for their piece on Buffy St. Marie. I just wanted to um, dedicate this award to all the Indigenous children who were stolen from our families. Buffy St. Marie was adopted out. I was also adopted out as part of the 60s scoop, so... This is for them. Congratulations to Kim. And like, let's have some dignity in a congratulations. Like they have to decide. And you know, I make fun of Canadian film and TV shows. Like the last time I made fun of all the nominees was like, not because the films were bad or, or cheesy, but because I hadn't heard of any of them because the industry is failing to get anybody to see this stuff, which is an issue. But if the conceit of the awards is that these people have done serious work that deserves recognition, then stay in that conceit for the awards gala. If your idea is that this is boring shit that nobody gives a damn about, so we've got to like phone in, like 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 phoned in comedy from Samantha B, who I actually like and want to defend, but it's really hard <laughs> in this context, and then just like pad it out with some like Canadians who are in Marvel movies and shit. Like, why even bother? Because it's not like people see it. It's not like people see it when you do those things. And the top comment, <laughs> the top YouTube comment, Nora. On the Canadian Screen Awards, which has, I think, two and a half thousand views on YouTube, is from commenter Tits McGee. And Tits McGee says, 
there's a grainy four hour video of some guy just opening and closing a door over and over that has more views than this. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. And I, I mean, I have a, a relative that was up for a screen award as well. And I know how important uh, they are to, to recognize like the television and film industry in this country is deadly. It's really, really difficult. It's underfunded. It's difficult to, to distribute the stuff. It's difficult to make sure that people see it. And this was an insult. I dare you, listener, to try and watch the Canadian Screen Award live feed that you'll find online. Look up Tits <laughs> McGee. I'm sure you'll find the clip because it is, <sighs> you know, like there's there's a whole bunch of parts to it. Like the fact that the lighting sucked on all of the awards that they did feature because the Screen Awards happened over the course of a, a week. So interspliced between Samantha B being in this fake bar was images from the awards ceremony that happened the nights previous. The lighting was too low. So a lot of times you couldn't actually see who was on stage. Music, the music that they chose to put the whole through the whole thing is horrifying. This music went through all of the interviews. And I'm not sure if you noticed this, but as a musician, I was like, who is the music designer for this? Because it is a disaster. So, you know, it's it's like, it's a joke. And if we're going to get Marshall McLuhan about it, the medium is the message that the Canadians... Green Awards thinks that their own awards are a joke. And I guess on some level, that level of awareness of irrelevance is kind of charming, but it's really, it's really gross. And it was hard to watch. And it is funny and I'm, I'm happy to make fun of it, but I just feel so bad. <laughs> I feel so bad for everybody who was nominated because you can't even show that to your parents. You'd be like, you know what? Don't even ask what I do. My day job, it's not, it's not worth it because this is what my industry <laughs> thinks of it. And now you're going to make everybody out there go watch it too, because you have a mean side. I didn't know that about you, but this is how, <laughs> this is how the cycle of abuse goes is to hurt people, hurt people. We made you watch it. And now you're, now you're going to make all of our listeners go watch it. You know what? They'll create comedy gold. I guarantee you that the comments of people responding like already there, it'll be so worth it. Nora, that shortcuts. Thank you so much for joining me. This week, we are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Uh, email me. I'm at jesse at canadaland.com. I read what you send, all of it. Where can people find you? Where can they find your podcast? Yeah, well, I haven't left Twitter yet, so you can still find me there as well. And I have a new daily news podcast that people should definitely check out. Every episode comes out 9 o'clock in the morning, and they don't run more than 10 minutes. You get four or five headlines what's going on. So you can check that out at sandynora.com slash daily dash news, or find me on Twitter. I share it all the time. This episode is produced by Ren Bangert with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofor. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do, uh, if you appreciate our journalism, our discussions about what's going on in the news, the whole thing, the only way we are able to do it is because people make the decision to support it and then we give you all kinds of perks and things that people seem to really like hit the link on the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join do it you can listen ad free on Amazon Music included with Prime thank you for supporting Canada Land A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman, found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. 
but not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.